I want to talk about the timelessness of God tonight. But what came to mind first before talking about God over time is time travel because it interests me. And um, I think it makes for fun storylines. And my daughter and I were talking about it one day and she said, people have been talking about time travel for a long time. Why haven't they figured it out yet? Well, here's what the Time Travel Institute says. Logic would suggest that if time travel were ever to exist, then it already does. If time travel is possible, then the methods required will eventually be devised. Maybe it'll take another 10,000 years to discover the secrets of time travel, but if it's possible, then it's inevitable, which suggests that Time travelers are already visiting us and visiting our past. Do, 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 right? Well, that's just for fun. The way that I really go about time travel is by opening my Bible. And that takes me to the past. And God tells us of the future. And that's what we've been seeing going on in Ezekiel. That's what these proverbs are about. That's what his sign language is about in chapter 12. So you saw in chapter 12, uh, verse 22 and 23, God says to Ezekiel, son of man, you've heard that proverb they quote in Israel, time passes and every and prophecies come to nothing. Now give them this new proverb to replace the old one. The time has come for every prophecy to be fulfilled. So I really like the way the New Living Translation says that. The Israelites doubted God's word because they were looking at time from their perspective. And I don't know if they talk, thought about time machines back then, but they actually had the closest thing possible to a time machine because they had prophets. They were able to, if they would, listen to the words of the prophets and know what would happen in the future. Well, what? that's not because prophets were capable of time travel, but because God himself is outside of time. I'm certainly not calling God a time traveler, but he is outside of time. And this is going to lead us to consider the eternality of our God. He is the everlasting God the eternal one, the Alpha and Omega. And you have this statement on your handout. God's eternity may be defined as follows. God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in his own being, and he sees all time equally vividly. Yet God sees events in time and acts in time. So we'll see bits and pieces of that as I continue and give you verses and other explanations, which I will say these are explanations, but we really cannot grasp this. <laughs> First of all, God is timeless in his own being. And we could just stop right there and think about that. Wow. 
God is timeless in his own being. He has no beginning or end. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. And another way of saying that, from everlasting to everlasting, would be like saying from vanishing point to vanishing point. You know, from eternity past to eternity future. And we cannot see the ends of those points in time. And there really aren't any ends for the Lord. Job thirty six twenty five. the number of his years is unsearchable. Wow. They're just mind-blowing statements. Another way to explain or continue to state that God is timeless in his being is to say God always is. Revelation 1, 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So he is. We, in our language, say he was, but that's only referring to our past and thinking that when we're thinking of backwards, when we're thinking of before us, he was then. That's just our language, but that is not a definition that God was. He, he always is. It's a present tense. His being is present tense. Also, God created time. Genesis 1.5 God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. One day. So we're going to consider this word day for a moment. Just for the record, the definition of day in the creation account should be interpreted as roughly a 24-hour period. And that is rather than interpreting a day as a long, undetermined period of time. So I am definitely disputing the theory of evolution right here. I am not looking at day meaning a thousand years or a million years. This word day can have these five different meanings depending on the context. It can mean a period of light as contrasted to night. Like it's daytime, not nighttime. It could be a 24-hour period. It could be time. The days are going on. Days go by. It can be a specific point of time. It can be a year. But in the creation account, Genesis 1 defines days as evening and morning. A number and a phrase, evening and morning, are used for each of the six days of creation. So I don't have those verses up there, but for example, Genesis 1-5, God called the light day, the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning one day. This also explains why the Jews begin their day at sundown. There was evening and there was morning one day, and that takes you to the next evening. Genesis 1-8, God called the expanse heaven, there was evening and there was morning a second day. And it goes on and on 
through each consecutive day. Factoid, outside of Genesis 1, Yom, the Hebrew word for day, is used 410 times. It's used over 100 times in Ezekiel. It's used four times in the chapter we've just been studying. When Yom is used so many times, these 410 times, it means an ordinary day outside of Genesis chapter 1. So why would Genesis 1 be an exception and mean something else? So we're looking at the fact that God created time, meaning he set it in motion. It, time started when he started using this phrase. Uh, it was the first day. When God made Adam on the sixth day, he made him in time. Days were beginning to be counted. So Adam had his first day on day six, and then he began to count the years. You know, I think Adam was a brilliant man. I think that we really need to realize God's first creation was so smart. He named all the animals. <laughs> On your handout, you have a statement. When God created the universe, he also created time. When God began to create the universe, time began, and there began to be a succession of moments and events, one after another. Those are in time. But before there was a universe and before there was time, God always existed without beginning and without being influenced by time. And time, therefore, does not have existence in itself. But like the rest of creation, time depends on God's eternal being and power to keep it existing. God created time. Time does not exist on its own. It depends on God to continue. And you can think of that one time when God made the sun stand still. So the day, that period, that daytime period was longer because he controlled the time by holding the sun. Wow. As something created, it belongs to its creator. Time belongs to God. It submits to him. He uses time for his purposes. You could say that it is a tool of God's. Time shows us God's wisdom and the way that he works. I knew that I was going to be talking about time. And I knew I was going out of town. And I did not expect to have time when I was taking care of my five-year-old and two-and-a-half-year-old grandchildren. And last week, before going out of town, God gave me time on last Monday to get ready for this week. I was amazed. I wasn't trying that hard to make it happen. I wasn't working furiously and checking my watch and spinning my wheels. I just saw God take care of things. And I felt like he stopped the clock for me. I was 
just amazed. And that was just, it was part of seeing him handle and manage time in my life. And even to drive out of Atlanta this morning, that's a busy time. 7.30 in the morning, roads are really full. And we got back early. How did we do that? God brought us back <laughs> without speeding. We went the speed limit. <laughs> I did a lot of driving. Well, the fourth commandment is based on the Lord's creation of time and his time management. And I wanted to highlight that for you. Exodus 31, 15 through 17 says, For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he abstained from work and rested. So what God says here is the basis for our calendar, our timekeeping our seven-day work week. Six days of work and a day of rest. God's time management is the model for our time management. So that's encouraging. Okay. So God is timeless in his own being. He created time. He created us in time, which is one of the reasons that we have trouble comprehending him who is outside of time. We cannot imagine anything but time. Think about the next thing here. Oh, sorry. I'm not sure when that... I have to come back to that one. God sees all time equally. Psalm 90 verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. So God sees all the details of a thousand years as clearly as we see five minutes ago. We, you remember what you were doing five minutes ago? <laughs> Coming in the door? Um, all of past history is viewed by God with absolute clarity. And Wayne Grudem says it this way. All of time since creation is to God as if it just happened. And it will always remain clear in his consciousness throughout millions of years of eternity future. Now, just think about the day that God poured out his grace and his spirit on you. The day he gave you life. I have a hint of a memory of that day because I was five years old. God knows every detail. He's outside of time, he sees the day of your salvation as clearly as if it just happened right there. So, I think, I think that's a fun thing to think about. He's always re able to rejoice in the moment of your salvation. 2 Peter 3, 8 says, With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So the first half of the verse tells us that any one day from God's perspective is like 1,000 years. It is as if 
that day never ends, but it's always being experienced. It's it just like really, in our language, freezing time. You're staying in that moment. Any one day is to God to be present in his consciousness forever. So this is just how he, well, this is what Wayne, Wayne Grudem and theologians, this is how they explain it. How we're trying to think of how God sees times based on what he said in his word, not what we're imagining. Again from Grudem, I think this is on your handout, so we're not at that picture yet. Um, in the big box, at the bottom of your handout. God is the eternal Lord and sovereign over history, and he sees it more clearly and acts in it more decisively than any other. These verses speak of God's relationship to time in a way that we do not and cannot experience. God's experience of time is not just a patient endurance through eons of endless duration, but he has a qualitatively different experience of time than we do. This is consistent with the idea that in his own being, God is timeless. He does not experience a succession of moments. I'm thankful for Wayne Grudem and the depth of understanding of theology and the Lord that he has given him to be able to put these things into words. Let's look at a picture. God, oh, turn your page over. God is above time outside of time and can see all of history and eternity as equally present in his consciousness. So here is a picture as best as we can try to draw of that. God outside and those arrows are God looking at points in time. So he is and he can always see all of it. Well, based on this diagram, we can try to grasp that God doesn't know the future. It's not like he knows it, but he does actually see it. He sees the future and what he's going to do. And that's why his words, which we call predictions or prophecies, his words are 100% accurate because he who is outside of time tells his prophets who are in time God tells his prophets what he sees and what he's going to do. Even if the action hasn't happened yet, God knows when he's going to do it. So from eternity past, even before time began, God could see Jesus offered as the sacrifice for sin. And those who lived in time before Jesus walked on the earth could be forgiven of their sins based on their faith in the Lord and what he was providing. He said, make this sacrifice, ask for forgiveness, I will forgive you. Uh, and this was the atonement and the process. At that point in time, God knew what he was going to do. And his people who believed him and trusted in him would receive forgiveness. There's another verse about that. I'll get to in a minute. So that was then Old Testament people that I'm talking about. We are now. So what about us? How does God's present awareness 
of the future affect us today? Have you wondered how you could be forgiven of all of your sins, even those, those, even those you have not committed yet? See, you've already been forgiven for things that you're going to do next year and the next and the next. You haven't confessed them yet, but God has made a way already. You're already forgiven. The price has been paid. You're completely covered. God can see you in the future. He sees what you do and what you don't do. Jesus' death paid the price for the sins that each one of us will commit in the future. Our trust in Jesus as our Savior right now means that we trust Him to forgive us of our sins that we will commit in the future. Now, God doesn't just see your sins in the future. What else does He see? He sees your obedience. He sees your ministry. He sees your maturity. He sees your sanctification. God even sees what it looks like when we are with Him in heaven. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. We can only try to imagine what it will be like to be with Him. But He sees it even as we speak. Because God sees all time equally, because God created it for his purposes, he uses it. And this brings us to the next statement. God sees events in time and he acts in time. Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son. So God was watching over the progress of the world and history and things that were going on. And he knew and was putting things in place, watched over the progress of events in time. And God acted when the time was right, according to his plan and what he saw and what he wanted to do. Acts 17, 30 and 31 says the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. This verse points out how God acted in the past, how he acted in the present, and how he will act in the future. Prophecy makes it clear to us that God makes a statement at one point in time and he carries it out at a later time. God acts within time and he acts differently at different points in time. So he, he does not change, but the way he carries out things or the way that he tells his people to do things, there may be some changes between the Old Testament and the sacrifices at the temple. And we know believers, as we're obeying him now in Christ, we're not making sacrifices at the temple. That's just a little example. Another statement from Grudem is, I believe, on your handout. Yes. God is the Lord. It's not on my hand. Not up here. God is the Lord who created time and who rules over it and uses it for his own purposes. God can act in time because he is Lord of time. 
He uses it to display his glory. In fact, it is often God's good pleasure to fulfill his promises and carry out his works of redemption over a period of time so that we might more readily see and appreciate his great wisdom, his patience, his faithfulness, his lordship over all events, and even his unchangeableness and eternity. He's over time. He created time. He's outside of time. But we will always exist in time. Will we ever share God's eternal nature in the new heavens and the new earth? Will time still exist? Some don't think so. There's even a hymn that says, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. But Revelation 22, verse 2 says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. A tree yielding fruit every month, 12 months. I mean, he's speaking our language of time, our language of a year, a progression of events, a regular passage of time. The tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit sounds like a different fruit for every month. That'll be tasty. (laughs) So it tells us that things will happen in succession. This has led many to believe that we will still be those who were created in time and experience time. We will experience eternity like forever, the continuation of life. That's what I mean by eternity, a duration of time that never ends. Our lives with the Lord will go on forever. So we will have a never-ending future that goes before us but we will not automatically get like a past, a never-ending future. I mean, a never-ending past, which is what God has. So he is eternal, and we have a, an eternity future. <laughs> and that moment has not arrived yet. So while we're still here on this old earth, before we're in the new heavens and the new earth. What impact does God's eternality have on us today? Let us know that God's timing is perfect. Time is in His hands. He uses it for His purposes. Whatever timing occurs in our lives is for His work and for His glory. Let's remember that God's timing is perfect when sometimes from our perspective, some things happen too fast. Oh, time just flies by. This catches us off guard. We're not ready. But God is not surprised. When we're surprised and we think time's gone by too fast, God's not surprised. It is perfect timing from his perspective. 
He is the one for us to turn to and trust that he will empower, empower us, equip us, sustain us, and guide us. And if we're not ready, you know, we're surprised. We're caught off guard. Then this is a great time to be fully aware of our own inability to do something in our own strength. I didn't have enough time. Time's gone by too fast. Just make that phrase turn us to the Lord. Okay, Lord, you knew. Your timing is perfect. From our perspective, sometimes things happen too slowly. But God uses time to prepare people places and things and circumstances so that everything is just right according to his wisdom and his plan. He determines when it is the fullness of time. So as we wait, when time's moving slowly, when we wait for God's action, again it's the time for dependence on him, to learn to trust him and believe in his faithfulness to learn that our hope is in him and to take him at his word. Is there something that he said that he's going to do and we haven't seen him bring it about yet? Yes, Jesus is coming back and he hadn't come back yet. He is coming. Whatever God has said that he will do, he will do in the fullness of time according to his wisdom. God's timing is perfect, even if from our perspective, sometimes we run out of time. When we run out of time, if we feel rushed and the days are busy and hectic, knowing that God is in charge of the time should help us relax. How about that? We are to trust him to enable us to do what needs to be done in the time that he has given us. We do need to ask ourselves if we are being obedient to his direction to redeem the time. If we have disobeyed the Lord and neglected or procrastinated our responsibilities, then we'll suffer consequences. So I do believe we should wear watches and do just what God does. Use the time for his work and his glory. And the last statement on your handout, also on the PowerPoint, God's eternality is not that he has been around for a long time and will exist forever. I mean, that's true, but there's more to it than that. That God is eternal means that God created time. He sees all times, past, present, and future, and carries out his work in our lives and in the course of history with perfect timing. Praise God. That gives me rest. Let's pray. Lord God. Oh, okay. <laughs> we praise you. We praise you you who are beyond our comprehension, you 
who created everything. You were, using our language, <laughs> you were before it all. And now we can know you here in our lives, in these days of our lives. Thank you for making a way for us to know you. And thank you for the hope that you give us, that you have painted the picture of what is to come. And I thank you for the confidence that we have in you because you have given us so many details in your word of what you promised to do and then you did it. So I thank you for showing us the fulfillment of your promises. Thank you for your statement that you made yourself that what you say you will do. Oh, we trust you, our God. We thank you for sending Jesus in the fullness of time. And I thank you for each moment which was a gift to each one of us when you poured out your grace and your Holy Spirit and you forgave us of all of our sins, the ones we don't remember and the ones we have not committed. Thank you for how you are able to, to handle time and our lives. So we praise you, our God, everlasting God. Thank you that there is a future where we will be with you forever and see you more clearly. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.